Jonah, thanks for coming down and doing this interview. You betcha. Thanks for having me. So, uh, you're fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> my wife says so. My mom says so. <laughs> what is your background before you started Lions Not Cheap and your other activities? Like, what kind of work were you doing? Uh, I grew up in a single parent home. Typical story, parents split up kind of a deal and always was a hustler and mm. made a lot of money when I was young and then uh, found myself at 31 having a midlife crisis. I don't know what a midlife crisis looks like, but if it's leaving your business and your marriage and trying to figure out what the hell you're doing with your life, that's where I was for a couple of years and founded Lions Not Sheep in the process of that and slowly built it over the last couple of years into a, a little global coaching company apparel company and so we've got about a thousand clients all over the world so between my three kids and playing football and everything else I'm doing with them running that it's it's keeping me really busy but it's really fun. Uh, Lions Not Sheep, yeah. what, what had that title come into play? Um, in, in my own personal journey of, of building a lot of successful companies really young and then burning them all to the ground essentially trying to figure out why I was doing everything trying to figure out you know, really what my purpose was. Um, I played the game, introduced social media now, it's even more intensified, but I played the game of keeping up with the Joneses, of trying to be that guy, and, and, and it ran me ragged. Mm -hmm. And so as I went through this process of trying to figure out, like, what I really wanted to do with my life and who I really was, uh, it came to me one day. It literally just the, the phrase, lions not sheep, came to me, and it was one of those things that kind of bounces around your brain over and over and over and you can't get rid of. And, mm -hmm. and so I thought about... Uh, I'm just going to put it on a t-shirt. I was never in the apparel business. I did real estate for 20 years. I was a real estate investor. did really well in mortgages and real estate. And I called a buddy of mine and we put it on a t-shirt. And one day um, it was on social media. Somebody saw me wearing it and said, dude, where do I get that shirt? And I said, I, I don't know. I just made it for me kind of a thing. So I called my buddy back and fast forward. Now we have a huge apparel brand and, and the, the whole mantra of Lions Not Sheep became who I was. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like, I lived 30 years of my life following other people, doing what I was told, trying to fit in that box. Mm -hmm. Here I was now, you know, in my later half of, of life, if, if, you know, depending on the time frame that I'm here, figuring out that I wanted to do my own thing, write my own rules, and, and, and living life literally as a lion versus a sheep. Why do you think it struck a chord? Because obviously it's blown up. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm driving down the road. I see bumper stickers. Yeah. I see people with hats. I see people with shirts. It's everywhere. Yeah, it really is. It's, it's been fascinating. The last couple of years really have. And obviously the timing and the political climate and the whole thing. But, you know, we, we've, we've been programmed since we were little kids to lie. Mm -hmm. Everybody has. You know, when you're a little kid, you don't pick your name. You don't pick your morality. You don't pick what's right or wrong. You're told these things. Mom and dad say, this is what's right. This is what's wrong. School says, do this, do that. Church says, this is what's good. This is what's bad. This is what will get you to heaven. This is what's going to take you to hell. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, thinking back, I never really chose who I was. I didn't decide what was right or wrong. I'd, I'd never asked any real questions. Mm -hmm. And it's not a religious conversation about, you know, God, talk to me kind of a thing. But it was like, why am I doing what I'm doing? And I found that most of my life I was doing it because this is what was socially acceptable. Right. This is what the path of least resistance was. As a little kid, you know, you have a question, raise your hand. I need to go to the bathroom, raise, my, you know, raise your hand. You don't say anything that's going to make anybody else uncomfortable. Just do this. This is what normal looks like. And essentially, this, you're just living in this little teeny box. Mm -hmm. And I found as I got older and older and older, I, I asked more and more and more questions. I wanted to know more things. And... It's just interesting how little people want to discuss deeper things, mm -hmm. you know, meaningful things. It's just like, no, just that makes me uncomfortable. Just sit over here. And so I found myself really intrigued with the why. You know, I'm 42 years old. I ask why more than a 10-year-old because I really want to know. And mm -hmm. so I think 
people nowadays are waking up saying, you know, is this it? You know, I've got the house, I've got the kids, I've got the car, I've got the job. Like, I'm 40 years old. Like, why am I here? Like, why am I not happy? I mean, it, it's statistically, you look outside and there's more people doing prescription drugs. There's more people killing themselves than ever before in the history of this country. Kids are upset. Kids are, are, are dealing with suicide at an all-time high. Mm. You know, why? And I truly believe it's because people have not figured out how to tell the truth. They haven't figured out how to be able to like dig inside of what they really want, what they really feel, what they really believe, mm. because we've been programmed to essentially sit down, quiet down, slow down, shut up. Don't do anything or say anything that'll make anybody else uncomfortable. And it's a really demoralizing reality, you know, and, and as a father of three kids, I see this happening every single day. And, and uh, it's been a, a journey that I've been on the last 10 years of, of trying to really dig down into what it is that I truly want to experience in this life and knowing that I can build whatever I want um, and essentially pulling back that programming that I've had for 40 some odd years, you know? Right. Your social media presence has also grown and, you know, so try, I know you said you have like a coaching program, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I think it must be somewhat directed to having people discover what they really want in life as compared to being a sheep and following yeah. what they've been following. But why do you think you're so blown up on social media? I mean, people are loving your posts. I don't think you're doing it for affect. I think you're just really expressing yourself. Yeah, I, I my first post that went viral a number of years ago was after my divorce. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's funny because, I, you know, we look at social media nowadays and it's just this mind-numbing thing. And, and I did something in a post that I had never done before. I essentially told the truth. Like, it was this really raw, vulnerable post. So you see this guy, you know, this tattooed, bearded, tough guy with this exterior, like, talking about how he was angry. Mm -hmm. I was talking about my emotions going through my divorce. I was talking about, like, the pain and the frustration that I was dealing with. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so different for people because we're so used to just not knowing what's real and what's not, then you're expecting something from someone and they show up completely different. And it's like, wait a second, like, where did that come from? Mm -hmm. You know, and I found something in that, that experience. This was probably six years ago that my first post went viral. Mm -hmm. I mean, tens of millions of people engaged with this one post. And it was fascinating because it, was, it wasn't the highlight reel. It wasn't a success story. It was literally like my deepest, darkest shit. Mm -hmm. It was the stuff that was inside of me that I had not shared with people before, my own fears. And I realized that, literally millions of people engaged with it mm. and it was it was interesting to me I was like this is my darkness like why are so many people being inspired by this and motivated by this um, and I realized it's because people relate to it mm. you know we think that we're an island we think that people aren't struggling and my you don't know how bad my stuff is and how bad my demons are and whatever else and really everybody's dealing with shit right. everybody is there's just two different types of people people that hide from it and don't talk about it and those that do and I was that you know first guy but I also realized after that post went viral like I felt better mm -hmm. and it was interesting because I was looking at this thing and it was scary as hell to to talk about vulnerable things to talk about these things that you were not supposed to talk about you know the fear the depression the suicide mm -hmm. all these other things I realized as I started sharing more and more and more of that part of my story I felt better and so, so I it was therapeutic I, yeah I, I, yeah very very much so I, I consider myself a fairly smart guy so I was like all right if me attaching to people and 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 finding people and building this tribe, if you will, comes from me sharing my truth. That's great. You right. know, that this is what Pepsi and Coke and Ford are spending billions of dollars on marketing, trying to get your eyeballs and your hearts and your feelings and your emotions, right? Mm -hmm. But if I feel better too, then why don't I just keep doing this? Mm -hmm. And literally over the last five years or so, I've used social media literally as like, as therapy. 
and it sounds funny to people, but like I share these things because it's scary to share things. It's scary to share the insecurities and the fears and the darkness where we're supposed to be this. We're supposed to be just get in the box, do what you're told, show up the same way. And I found the more I share the darkness, mm -hmm. I share the real shit, mm -hmm. the more people are attracted to it. But it also helps me feel better. It's like you know, you, there's no skeletons in the closet, if you will. You're putting everything out there. And right. it's a scary place to be, but at the same time, it's extremely liberating. Did I hear you say earlier before we started that you have like two billion views of your videos? Almost a billion. Almost a billion yeah, almost views. A billion. Wow. Yeah. wow. Yeah, it's been wild. I mean, I, I, I found that I lived most of my life in this place of like security, mm -hmm. right? Just doing what I was told to do. This is what normal looks like. Mm -hmm. Like this is what a normal home looks like, a normal business looks like, normal emotions and normal feelings. And I found that that it's those moments of rawness, it's those moments of, of, of intense energy mm -hmm. that connect me the most to people, but it's also real, mm -hmm. right? I mean, as men, we're not supposed to be angry, we're, we're supposed to suppress these dark thoughts, and we're not supposed to talk about certain things. We don't talk about sex, money, politics, religion, divorce, depression, these are like all taboo talk, you know, topics, because right. it might offend somebody. Well, I'm looking at it saying, well, that like this is my life right. this is i'm dealing with sex money politics religion divorce depression co-parenting you know all of these other things like this is what i talk about this is my life and i think that people really 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 engage with it because they can relate to it you know what i mean yeah. but it's been wild some some videos of hundreds of millions of views on videos where you're like why did that go viral and you realize you're saying things that other people desperately want to say but don't have either the courage or the tenacity or the ability to say. Give me an example of one of those that you know, did 100 million or oh, more. Yeah. Um, after that, the Florida school shooting, um, I was actually supposed to do a photo shoot that day with my friends out in the desert with some guns. Mm -hmm. um, and for some reason, this is like one day that I was super busy. I hadn't checked social media. I hadn't checked the news. I'm running home to pick up my guns to go do this photo shoot. I called my buddy and I said, hey, man, I'm, you know, I'm on my way. And he's like, dude, we can't do this. I said, what do you mean? He's like, have you seen the news? I said, no. I jumped on this, into the uh, Drudge Report and found this horrific experience. And I remember clicking. I was literally at the gas station filling up. And I, I clicked on one of the first reports that I saw. And it was when they were interviewing the kids after the shooting. I don't know if you remember that. But they, all these kids were like, yeah, this kid was up if there was anybody who was going to shoot up a school it was going to be this kid like we knew he was gnarly we knew he was in trouble we knew he was just a bad kid and obviously fast forward everything else comes out about the fbi and all this sort of stuff but in that moment i was enraged i was furious that these kids all knew that this kid was nuts mm -hmm. but yet we live in a in a societal in a political climate where you can't talk about these things you mm -hmm. can't label anybody because you're a racist you're a sexist you're misogynistic mm -hmm. if you tell on some kid for drawing swastikas and bombs in his locker, you're going to be labeled something, so kids don't say anything. Right. And here all these kids were acknowledging this kid was nuts. And I looked at it from the position of I've got three kids in the public education system, and if my kid sees some kid or knows some kid who's talking about killing kids and doing all this other shit, I want my kid to be able to have the, the courage to say something. And it just it, it enraged me. I just was absolutely enraged that we have a political climate where kids – don't want to say anything because they don't want to be labeled. They right. don't want to have that, that shadow put over them. And it's real. I mean, as adults, we deal with the same thing. We don't say what we want to say. We don't say what we're feeling and thinking because you're a racist, you're misogynistic, mm -hmm. you're this, you're this, you're this. And I remember driving like literally the two blocks from the gas station to my house and I just held up my phone and I just did this minute and a half rant. And I was like,
your feelings. Like, my kids' lives are worth more than your political correctness bullshit. Mm -hmm. And I just shipped it. I just put it online, and it went viral. It had 160-something million views. Wow. And it was obviously torn apart. I had a whole bunch of... Of course liberals left-leaning media outlets that picked it up that said I was that crazy dude driving the friggin' pickup truck that it would be my kids who would end up shooting up some school or whatever um, you know but it was real and it was really passionate for me and I think people resonated with it because this is our climate I mean we're not that different you've right. got your, your world my world everybody's got their own experience happening and I think that the things that I say represent what a lot of people are thinking and feeling and in that moment it was just I was super pissed but it was real yes and I think maybe that's that's uh, what people bonded with in the fact that you were willing to say it publicly. Yeah. But now we're living in in this uh, post let's call it a post COVID world. Yeah. <laughs> you know, censorship. Yeah. Right. Uh, individual rights being completely trampled. Uh, a lot of uh, editorializing on these social media platforms. What's allowed to be posted, what's allowed to be posted. Yeah. Uh, printing trillions of dollars. Uh, you know, all this stuff is going on. Has how has this impacted your thinking and your activities? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm involved in it just as much as anybody else is, right? Something that I believe and that I teach and that I coach um, through Lions Not Sheep is getting your house in order. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, it's not a new phrase. You've heard it for years and years and years, but it's something I've really started to embody over the last year, year and a half. Um, because at the end of the day, like, I realize that I, I'm, I'm using a platform through social media. I'm looking at media from all of the same lenses that you're looking at it from. I'm living in the same country with the same border crisis things and COVID things and vaccination things and the entire deal. And I realized that I've got two options. Mm -hmm. I can become a sheep and be a victim of the system mm -hmm. and blame my finances on this or this or this, or blame that I can't fly on this or blame that I can't do all of these things or create my own reality. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's been, it's almost just been an accentuation of what it is that I've been teaching for years and doing for years and, and getting my own house in order. You know, I'm, I, I don't want to call 911. I want to be able to be my own security. Mm -hmm. I want to know that I can go hunt and provide food for my family and not rely on a grocery store. I want to know that I can sit down and have conversations with my children about intense experiences versus letting a, a school system try and indoctrinate them. So for me, it's actually helped my business a great deal because mm -hmm. this is the same message I've been preaching for years and it's becoming more real for people now. Mm -hmm. I think that's the reason, one of the reasons, you know, one of the reasons the brand has continued to grow so well is, is people are realizing, holy shit, like, I've got to put my flag in the ground. Yeah. I've got to plant my flag in the ground. And where do I stand on some of these things? And, and you're going to have to take a stand. People, I think, are finally starting to realize, like, I have to take a stand or else it's, everything gets trampled. Well, what's interesting is, uh, as you said, you know, now suddenly people are, are um, waking up more toward the themes that you've been promulgating for a while now. Uh, do you think that there's a real threat in the horizon that, um, like never before, as far as what might happen and how we have to prep for it? Yeah, 100%. You know, but is somebody going to come to my house and try and take my guns? No. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that, that anybody will, because who would go? You know what I mean? We, we hear about they. They're coming for our guns. They're doing this. They're doing that. I mean, think back to when um, uh, Hillary was, was running against Trump, right? Hillary's going to win, and Gun prices went through the freaking roof. Mag prices went right. through the roof. The whole thing with this has been happening a lot over the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years, right? We just have a greater megaphone now making some of these things that, that we've known about for years. I mean, gun control. This is not the first time we've heard about gun control. This is not the first time that we've had AR bans and these bans and those bans over the last 50 years, right? We just now have a louder megaphone with social media and things 
transfer very, very, very quickly and they transfer in, in like micro pieces of content. So you don't really see the big story. Mm -hmm. And when you have a culture and a society that is not educating themselves, that's just literally being spoon-fed headlines, mm -hmm. it's really easy to, to, to f*** with people. Yeah. It's really easy to manipulate people with fear. I mean, it's one of the greatest selling tactics ever, right, is fear. So I think right now that we're dealing with people, you know, trying to figure out what's real, what's not. Like, what do we do? And, and at the end of the day, are people going to come pick up my guns and your guns? No. Will this ban happen, that ban? Sure. I mean, I, I can't predict the future, but at the end of the day, I've got guns. I've got ammunition. Mm -hmm. I've got cash. I've been putting my house in order, and so I know that people that have been living in that world, regardless of what's happening in the political climate, mm -hmm. I don't fear. I mean, I don't have a lot of fear around this. You know what I mean? Um, it's one of the things that I think is extremely important for people to understand is, like, the only way somebody's going to come take your guns, for example, is, number one, if you give them to them, or number two, they go kicks, they, police, the government, you know, military comes and literally kicks your door down. Mm -hmm. And we both know that's never going to happen because there's 200 million gun owners in America and the first door that gets kicked in by they, yeah. you're going to have war. Yeah. So you talked about guns, cash, uh, food. Mm -hmm. uh, what else do you do for preparation? I think the most important thing you can prepare for is your mind. Mm -hmm. Is really preparing your mind. Um, one of my favorite quotes is, it's better to be a warrior in the garden than a gardener in the war. Mm. And so everything from fighting. I just did a post this morning about that, about how men literally should be bloodying their knuckles. You should be fighting, learning to fight, learning jujitsu, learning boxing, physically fighting, right. physically creating confrontation in your life so that you become comfortable with it. I mean, that is a way to prepare. If that ever came to your doorstep, came to the restaurant that you're sitting in, in the movie theater that you're attending, like, what are you going to do? Mm. If you've never trained, participated, practiced, Right. And so, you know, preparing is literally looking at what could happen and preparing for that. Texas, right? We live in Texas. The power went out and people were freezing. Yeah. Did you not have any blankets? Did you not have sleeping bags? Did you not have potable water or, or a way to, to, to be able to, like, feed your family? No one did. And I think it was a really interesting experience. The, the storm that Texas just had exposed that people were not prepared with the simplest things like warmth, yeah. fire, water food, the simple basic necessities. So, um, yeah, I mean, we could go down this rabbit hole, you know, for, for quite a while, but having the basic necessities of life, most people don't have. It's fascinating. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up the, the whole point about fighting. A friend of mine wrote a book called uh, When Violence is Necessary. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the whole idea is saying, hey, sometimes it's necessary as compared to uh, being unprepared when something like this should mm -hmm. come up. Uh, and it is interesting about Texas, too, because I think, it, you know, that wasn't necessarily related to, you know, something that's going on that's right. malevolent in the world. It literally was just a, a natural circumstance that occurred, but how unprepared people were. Yeah. And uh, I heard that they were, you know, literally, you know, not too many minutes away from it going down, like, for a long period of time yeah. and it being a real problem. So uh, when you now are thinking in these terms and you see what, what's going on here, uh, you know, vaccine, uh, what are your thoughts on vaccine and mandatory vaccine? <laughs> I, I, if you want to get a vaccine, get a vaccine. Mm -hmm. there are lots, there's a lot of dumb people that do a lot of dumb things out there, but um, I'll never get it. My mm -hmm. family will never get it. You'll never stick that in me regardless of what you create a law around or a mandate around or whatever, whatever. So, you know, that's the freedom part of this game right. is, you know, if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. You want to stay home, stay home. You want to go to the grocery store, go to the grocery store. You want to get a vaccine, get a vaccine. 
Um, but I mean, it, it's it's fear mongering. It, it's it's people are moved by fear. You know, religion has been doing this for thousands of years, right? Um, if you want somebody to do something, create fear, and that's really what I think the mainstream media, the government, you know, congressmen, senators, businesses realize is that there's a lot of money in fear. There's a lot of control in fear, and so if you can get people to fear, they'll do what you tell them to do. And and literally out of nowhere comes this terrible reality, which is not even keeping pace with the flu. Mm -hmm. It's literally like not even keeping pace with the flu, but yet people don't think that way. Give me the like spoon-fed headline. We're all gonna die. Shit. What do I gotta go? I gotta go do this. Great. I'll do it. Mm-hmm. And you see ramifications of it now. Them pulling, you know, the the vaccine that just got J and J. J and J. Whatever the hell it was. You know what I mean? Like just thinking about how little people truly know what they want, where they stand, how little prepared they are. Uh, it's a fascinating thing. But I mean. You know, if you want to go get a vaccine, go get a vaccine. I, I could care less. You know what I mean? Did I see a, a post of you wearing an outfit that said something like blood clot free or something like that? I, I, did, a, uh, I did a post, and it was just me standing, on, uh, standing at the lake with saying that I was blood clot free. Of course, it pissed a ton of people off, right? But it's like, it's just a fascinating thing, man. Like how, what's going on in our culture and our society, you know? And I actually like it. A lot of people ask me, oh, you're afraid of this. I, I like it because... Polarity is a great teacher. Mm-hmm. You can't really appreciate the light until you've been in the dark. Mm-hmm. You can't really appreciate the, the peace until you've been in war. You can't appreciate, you know, understanding what that peace looks like until you've experienced violence. Mm-hmm. And so for me right now, it's a, it's a great lesson not only for the country, but for people inside of the country to realize, like, this is a tipping point. Which side will you end up on? Will you follow the masses and run right off the cliff? Or will you finally say, you know what, I don't know about this, plant your flag in the ground and stand, you know, no pun intended, but as a lion, mm-hmm. doing whatever you want when you want it. How are you reading it? Because I'm seeing that about half the people are saying they're not getting the vaccine, right? Which is surprising to me because the propaganda machine is so heavy on it, right? right? Yeah, I mean they're really and you know the shaming that goes yeah. that they try to do along with it as far as if you don't get a vaccine, yeah. you know, you're a bad person. You're not killing my grandma. You yeah. killed my grandma. Yeah. I've, you know how many grandmas I've killed over the last year because <laughs> I haven't worn a mask. Right. I haven't put a mask on one time, but apparently I've killed many, many, many grandmas. So uh, I understand uh, you you work out at the gym where uh, our producer Jeff Hayes uh, and my business partner works mm-hmm. out, and he said, uh, yeah, you walk in, never put a mask on once and refuse to do it, and people just let you go do your thing. Well, it, some do, <laughs> um, but I haven't put a mask on one time. I've not put a mask on my face one time, and I believe, you know, as, as a business, you have the right, mm-hmm. you know, we grew up no shoes, no shirt, no service, right? right? I don't need the, the you know, handle my wars and whatever. If a grocery store doesn't want me to shop there, then I'll find a grocery store that will. Mm-hmm. If an airline doesn't want me to, to, to fly on their, you know, their airplanes, then I'll buy my own airplane mm-hmm. and fly on my own airplane. Mm-hmm. And that's not ridiculous. That's real. I mean, that's literally creating your own reality of freedom. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, I choose what it is that I want to do with my life. I choose what I put on my body. I choose what I put on my face, and I'm not going to put a mask on it. And if, that ha- if that's a problem for you, that's totally fine. You have your ability to have your own reality and I have the ability to have my own reality mm-hmm. and so long as we're okay with that and we respect that which there's people that shame regardless right, right. Uh, I could give two shits what your feelings are around a mask I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do for me and my family you're gonna do what you're gonna do and at the end of the day we'll we'll see where the, that that leaves both of us is it a concern though about the mandates you know the government mandates around like uh, such things where I agree I mean uh, I'm a libertarian you, know, yeah. you should be able to 
decide if you want to have a mask on or not, et cetera. But the mandates are such that they become tyrannical, that you, mm -hmm. your freedom is not there to be able to make those kinds of decisions. So how do you deal with that? Is it, though? Mm -hmm. I mean, you have, you're, you're free to pick up a pen and stab me in the eye right mm -hmm. now. You're free to literally do whatever you want, as am I. Mm -hmm. There's re repercussions for some things, but at the end of the day, when we talk about these mandates and the government coming in, there's so many people that live in fear. I mean, if you get a letter from the IRS, what's the first thing that happens? Oh, shit, you, you get panicked. Why? That's the government. Mm -hmm. They work for me. Mm -hmm. They work for me and they work for you. Why am I afraid of them? Why am I afraid of a congressman or a senator or, or a Fauci or a this guy or that guy? I'm not. No one's going to come and stick a needle in me. Fauci's not coming to my doorstep to tell me what to wear. So w who am I really afraid of? What is there to really be afraid of? Mm -hmm. A mandate? What does that mean? It means you just have to change your patterns of your life a little bit. I'm okay with that. You know what I mean? I'm not going to go to Delta and bitch and moan and scream and yell and throw a temper tantrum. If you don't want me on your airplane, that's fine. You have that ability. You have that right. We can get into the politics of what's, you know, publicly traded companies, all that, all that other shit. But, like, I want the ultimate level of freedom, which is me being able to do anything that I want. Mm -hmm. And no government, no institution, the police aren't going to come and knock on my door and take my guns. Mm -hmm. We both know that. Mm -hmm. the, the, the Draper PD, which is where I live, they're not going to come to my house and knock on my doors and say, give me your guns. They're not going to do it. Mm -hmm. So who is? Right. A congressman? A senator? The military, are you going to bring an entire cavalry down my street to come get Sean Whalen's guns? It's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like, are you literally going to force people to get in line to get a shot? It's not going to happen. And so I think the fear-mongering is what's really allowing this thing to continue to happen. And what people need to just do is not wear a mask. Mm -hmm. Get up and not wear a mask. And if a store wants to kick you out, don't shop there. Mm -hmm. if, if this place wants to serve you, great, go there. You know what I mean? No one's forcing you to put a mask on. No one's forcing you to get rid of your guns. No one's forcing you to do anything. You literally have the ability to move as you choose and as you please. But people don't think that way because we've been programmed, again, since we were little kids. This is what's right. This is what's wrong. The government has our best interests, so do what they tell you to do. When you start looking at more things and peeling layers back, you realize that they're trying to do their deal and I'm trying to do my deal. And so long as we don't have conflict there, we're both going to be good. But when that overlap happens and there is conflict where you try and force your will on me, mm -hmm. you can put it on paper. Mm -hmm. You can create a law. You can create a mandate. That doesn't mean jack shit to me. Mm -hmm. But the second you actually physically come into my space, mm -hmm. that's when you have conflict. And I think that a lot of really smart people understand that, but a lot of sheep don't. Mm -hmm. So what's interesting is they do try to make it uncomfortable or, mm -hmm. or uh, inhibit your life. Uh, you know, I had to pull my kids out of school, uh, yeah. you know, homeschool. I mean, you know, there's a lot of things that go on that say that, because uh, you're right, you can say, um, uh, I'm not going to get the shot. Okay, so now I can't fly. Mm -hmm. I think the free market works. Uh, sure. I think an airline that would suddenly say, hey, we're not going to mandate a vaccine to fly on our airline. Right. There's going to be a lot of people are going to go, patrons. They'll be packed. And that's where the free market yeah. works. You know, if, if they're going to start deplatforming or censoring on one social media platform, maybe a new one gets built and then people right. go over to there that you know, that want to hear the information that's uncensored. So, so I think in a large sense, you're right. Uh, but I think also some level of rebellion on the part of the citizenry is required, mm -hmm. you know, to, to, to govern, uh, you know, that, that freedom. Right. So uh, are you someone who, uh, I guess, advocates, you know, for rebellion in, in that respect? And, and how should people rebel? I think the most rebellious thing you can do is have zero needs. Mm -hmm. I think the most rebellious thing you can do is to get your house in order. Mm -hmm. I think the most rebellious thing you can do is just say, you, mm -hmm. literally, and, and 
run your own life, build your own reality. And the thing that's interesting is like there's so many people that are there, but they're scared. You're scared to say it on social media. You're scared to say it to your family. You're scared to say it to this, that, or the other. But that's what that's what the true na nature of this country is. I mean, this this country was founded on rebellion, mm -hmm. right? Are we ready? I mean, you look at like the the capital surge, right? There was no guns there. That was not a surge. That was not a that was not anything that was trying to overthrow the government, right? They had freaking pitchforks and and flagpoles. You know what I'm saying? If somebody wanted to overthrow the government, it wouldn't be with pitchforks and and and, and loudspeakers. You right. know what I'm saying? But I think the reason that, that the rebellion that a lot of people think about, 1776, taking arms, surrounding buildings, it's never, it, I don't want to say it's never going to happen, but it's not going to happen anytime soon, and here's why. If you look at countries like Venezuela, where millions and millions and millions of people take to the street, it's because they shut the water off. Mm. There's no water. Mm. And we have in this country a welfare system that keeps people fed, mm -hmm. it keeps people clothed, and it keeps people under shelter. Mm -hmm. And so long as you have food, clothing, and shelter, the basic necessities given to you by someone, government, you're not going to rebel. Mm -hmm. Who's going to rebel? You know what I mean? This is the reason that I think it's a really interesting time because there's a lot of people that see that the election was stolen. Mm -hmm. Who believes in the election process anymore? Right. It, anyone? Does anyone believe in it anymore? So you now know that that's not a viable option. Okay, check that off the box. What do we do next? Right? And so long as you're comfortable and it might be uncomfortable a little bit, but you've got food, mm -hmm. you've got clothing, and you have shelter. So long as you have those things, you're not going to put your life, your family's life, in jeopardy physically. Mm -hmm. Meaning you're not going to get a million guys that are going to go into D.C. with guns and overthrow the government. So until there comes that point of time where either doors are kicked in mm -hmm. by they, the government, police, so on and so forth, or one of those three basic needs disappears... We're not going to have the typical rebellion that I think people are thinking about 1776-ish. Mm -hmm. So for me right now, knowing that, what's the most gangster thing that I can do? What's the, the, the act of rebellion that I can do that puts me apart from everybody else? Have no need. Mm -hmm. I can provide safety for my family. I can provide food for my family. I can provide the emotional security for my family. I can provide for what my family needs to not only live but to thrive. As long as I have that, I'm winning. And that sounds like the basis for the Lions Not Sheep movement, mm -hmm. right? And, yeah. and that's the whole point is saying, you know, as a lion, uh, you, know, you don't have needs. As a sheep, you're living at the whim of others that right. have to take care of you. Yeah. When I mean, you think about the true nature of a lion, right? And call it figurative, call it whatever, but a lion does whatever the f it wants. Right. It lays under a tree and naps as long as it naps. When it's hungry, it goes and kills something and it eats. When it wants to, it goes over here. Like, a lion truly does whatever the hell it wants to do, and right. no one tells it otherwise. Right. That mentality is really where I'm at. I'm like, I don't want anybody to be able to screw with my money, with my family, with my security, with my mobility, with my transportation. So as long as I have all of those things, we're, we're totally cool. So it's interesting, you know, and you brought up another element here in getting your house in order. What does that mean as far as money? I mean, look at what you're doing to the currency. Uh, so you have gold, crypto, cash. What do you do? All of the above. Mm -hmm. I mean, cash is always going to be around regardless of how many trillions of dollars just get you know, pumped into the deal. Cryptocurrency is a really, really, really new thing, mm -hmm. but it's fascinating. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm invested in different things there and gold, silver, tangible assets. I mean, right now, um, ammunition, bullets, at a dollar a round, where I'm be, I've been buying ammunition for the last five, six, seven years at 20 cents a round. It's a commodity. It's, yep. it's valuable because right now you can't get it. You know I'm what trying, I'm saying? I can't get it. You You're can't right. get it really anywhere. So it's like if you got a ton of it like I do, like you've got commodities. So I don't know what the future holds, but I know that like 
I'm not worried about that, mm-hmm. right? And I think this is where a lot of people, when you're, when you're living in anxiety, you're thinking about the future. You're trying to predict something that you really can't control. When you're living in depression and you're, you're stuck in that reality of yesterday. For me, it's like, what do I need to do right now? Like for today, mm-hmm. today and tomorrow for my family, because that's really all I have control over. I can't worry about what Bitcoin does or, or this coin does or that coin does or what fiat currency, what, like how many more trillions of dollars you put in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. I can't control that. So for me right now, it's getting your house in order means you can control those needs right now. Food, water, mm-hmm. shelter, you know, protection, security, emotional growth. You know, mm-hmm. Those are the things that I'm focused on the most. Um, but I think it's, a, it's a, such a fascinating time. I mean, technology is so new. Mm. You know, Facebook hasn't even been around. Facebook hasn't even been around for ten years. You think about how, in the grand scheme of things, how quickly we've evolved technologically through social media, so on and so forth. It's a brilliant thing. It's fascinating. What's next? I don't know. But right here, right now, like to me, getting my house in order means that I have everything that I need right here, right now. So so long as cash works, I got plenty of it. Mm. Cash doesn't work. I've got some gold, I've got some coins, I've got some silver, I've got some bullets, I've got some cryptocurrency, right? All of those different things, I think it's really important for people to educate themselves. Like, what's going on in the marketplace, you know, versus just reading those headlines. Educate yourself, especially on things that you don't know about. It's really good to have you here. I'm excited, been looking forward to this conversation, excited to hear your thoughts. Um, it, you want to, I, I think everybody that'll be viewing this has heard of you, but you want to give just a brief bio? Yeah, first of all, I'm honored to be part of your series and because uh, it's my favorite subject. And it's, it's nice to have people listen to what I'm saying because for years, you know, I've, I've been a staunch critic of education. And what is education? So that's why I wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad, because I grew up in Hawaii, I'm fourth generation Japanese American. I went to military school, fought in Vietnam as a Marine, as a pilot. And I, I began to question what we are taught as compared to a military school and what I call Snowflake University. And my poor dad was the head of education for the state of Hawaii, very good guy, but Japanese, fairly tall, six foot four, PhD, attended Stanford, Northwestern University of Chicago. And then unfortunately, and my rich dad was my best friend's father, who I started studying with at the age of nine. So that's the story of rich dad, poor dad, which is the importance of education. So my poor dad, and my rich dad, growing up in a little town called Hilo, Hawaii, they didn't like each other. You know, one was a socialist and one was a capitalist. And they don't see eye to eye. And you see it going on today, hardcore, because this guy Biden and Kamala, I'm not, I'm not political, but, or, you know, I, I believe in freedom of choice. So you want to be a communist, be a communist. You know, you want to be a socialist, be a socialist. I'm a capitalist and <clears throat> a capitalist which was rich dad, poor dad. My, my rich dad was a capitalist. My poor dad was a hardcore Marxist, but he didn't know it. And the reason my poor dad didn't know he was a Marxist is because we don't study Marxism in school, but they teach Marxism. They don't know it. And, and it's, it's just ignorance. And it's not bad people or good people. So going to military school in New York, uh, I, had, I had nominations to Naval Academy, Air Force Academy, uh, 
I didn't want to go to West Point, but I wanted to go to Kings Point because Kings Point were the highest paid graduates in the world. So Kings Point is a federal school. It's a U.S. Merchant Marine Academy, and we're the highest paid graduates in the world. So in 1965, being a little capitalist, I said, if I'm going to go to school, why not go to where they're paying the most? So I went to King's Point, and it's a military school. And the education is different. So the first word we're taught in military school is mission. What is your mission? The next words are duty, honor, courage, discipline, integrity. That's what we're taught. And then I attended, <clears throat> I went from my MBA program after I, after I was out of the Marine Corps. And they teach in critical race theory, gender identity. I'm going, que pasa? Trigger zones. You know, I'm a Marine. I am a psycho Marine. Don't, don't, you know, I mean, what the hell are we teaching? So that's kind of my whole background. And so that's my way of setting it up. I'm, I'm, I'm releasing a book called The Capitalist Manifesto in a few months. And it's, uh, it goes back to that military word, parabellum. Parabellum means, and we're taught this in military school, if you want peace, prepare for war. That's what parabellum means. So a capitalist manifesto is for people who are preparing for war because America is becoming socialist and Marxist, but we don't know it because we're not taught the difference between fascism, socialism, uh, communism. We don't know. And when you look at <clears throat> the reason Biden is a communist is because what Lenin said, no, what Marx said, if you want to destroy capitalism, <laughs> tax people. So he's raising taxes. And what Lenin said, if you want to destroy capitalism, uh, debauch the currency. And that's what we did in 1971 when Nixon took the dollar off the gold standard. So that's kind of my study. You know, I'm, I'm a politically incorrect former U.S. Marine who is parabellum. I'm always prepared for war. And so today I'm, I'm richer and richer and richer because I prepared for this time. Well, I did not know the definition of parabellum, yeah. but many of us are waking up and, and looking around and going, wait a minute, something happened while I was dozing. Um, and, uh, uh, a, a takeover of, uh, has happened that was both slow and rapid. And now, uh, you know, the definition, you know, by definition, being prepared has to come in advance. Where, and so some of us, you know, are not prepared, and we're not, we're certainly not prepared for war. So because you've been saying pretty much the same thing for 25 years. Um, what what advice do you have for for those of us that are slow to the party and, and, and preparation in all its phase, you know, from what do we do to protect our our money? That uh, what, what what are the moves that that you're suggesting to people? So how can a person prepare is the study? You know, rich dad, poor dad is capitalist education versus communist education. That's all it is. And most people don't study. They read, but they not study. They watch TV, but don't study. I study. You know, as a pilot, my education went, I was at Camp Pendleton getting ready to go to Vietnam. Man, I had to study 10 times harder. 
because when you're going into battle, you've got to be smarter. So that was what I learned with the discipline of the military. And most people study, they go to school, they have a college degree. But as I've always asked, what did school teach you about money? That flatline, you know? Well, that, that meant capitalists are evil. You know, the love of money is the root of all evil. You know, that's what they've learned. And it's in their heads. So the first thing you gotta understand is that when I was in 19, I went to Vietnam in January, 1972, my second tour. And that's when Nixon took the dollar off the gold standard on August 15th, 1971. When that happened, I understood what Lenin said. If you want to destroy capitalism, debauch the currency. So here was my college education, uh, academy education coming to life. And what most people don't realize is what Nixon did when he took the dollar off the gold standard, the US dollar became fake money, fiat money. And historically, no fiat currency has ever survived. So, you know, your, your title is the end game. We're in the end game. We're in the end game of the American Republic because we're no longer a democracy. We're no longer a republic, you know. We've become a socialist state. And I'm not blaming Biden or Kamala, you know, they're just puppets. Well, against this backdrop, um, you know, especially, you know, and let's stay with currency, what does somebody do who wants to protect themselves knowing that the currency they have is losing value at a, a rapid rate? Well, as I said in Rich Dad, Poor Dad, number one, savers are losers. You know, I got trashed for that one. <laughs> oh, God. Because saving is like a religion, you know, to most of these communists. They don't, they don't know the difference. And these academic elites, they oh, you got to save money. Other thing, too, is I use debt as money. And there's a lot of these good Christians, they say, well, you know, debt is evil. Live debt free. And fact is, most people should. Because debt is like a loaded gun. It can make you rich. It can also kill you. So just like being a pilot in Vietnam, if you're going to use debt, you better study it. And the other thing I said, your house is not an asset, and that goes to financial literacy. You know, a house can be an asset or a liability, depending on how it's used. So it's study. And as I said earlier, no fiat currency has ever survived. So when I was flying in Vietnam, and I saw Nixon took the dollar off the gold standard, I went looking for gold. So I bought my first gold behind enemy lines in Vietnam. And the reason it was behind enemy lines was because the NVA, North Vietnamese Army, and the Viet Cong had overrun the position. And the gold mine was behind enemy lines. So I covered this in my, my book coming up, Capitalist Manifesto. That's how much I want my freedom. I'm willing to go behind enemy lines and buy gold. And so I finally went to Hong Kong. I bought my Kruger and there for 50 bucks, you know. And, but I started buying silver back in 1964 when I was 17 years old. So I had a whole stash of silver coins, you know, dimes, quarters, and half dollars. And I would go, when I was 17, I'd go to the bank, I'd caddy, you know, I'd make some money. And I'd go, I'd get my money, and I'd go to my bank, my friend's bank, my, my neighbor's bank. I'd get rolls of dimes, quarters, and half dollars. 
and I pull out all the coins that had that copper tinge around. The copper tinge was debasing the currency. And the Romans did it, their, their empire went down when they debased the currency. They put base metals into it, like this one, in this case, copper. So when I saw that, that was Gresham's Law. And Gresham's Law states that when good money comes, when bad money enters circulation, good money goes into hiding. So I was just following Gresham's Law as a 17-year-old kid, and I see this whole bag full of real dimes, quarters, and half dollars. So then I go, so that was 64, 65, I go off to school in New York, and I come home, and I said, why don't you my bag of my money? And my mom spent it. So, you know, Jeff, that's one of the biggest lessons of all is that poor people don't know the difference between real money and fake money. That's why they're poor. And that's how guys like Lenin and Stalin and Marx and Hitler could get away with what they did and Mao. So I come back from Vietnam and I'm going, holy mackerel, I'm being raised by poor people. They're my parents. They're very good people, highly educated hard working, they save money, they get out of debt, and they invest in the stock market. And so I said, you know, I better do something different because of Gresham's law. When fake money or bad money enters a system, good money goes into hiding. So today, I literally have hundreds of millions in real gold and real silver, and I also save Bitcoin and Ethereum. Now, are Bitcoin and Ethereum going to make it? I don't know. But gold and silver are part of the periodic element tables. I think what silver is 47, gold 74, something like that, you know. I didn't do well in chemistry either. But anyway, so I just say what's real. It follows Gresham's law. Bad money drives good money out of hiding, into hiding. So I'm in hiding with my money. So... What are you doing in, in, in real estate right now with the, the laws that are passing, you know, where you can't evict people? You know, is it turmoil in that market? Well, it's a relationship. What's going on right now is a relationship between the equity, equity market, you know, stocks, and the bond market. So when I came back from Vietnam, the bond rate was about 16%. And to keep the economy from collapsing, they kept dropping the interest rate on the bonds. So we had a bull market in bonds because every time, so let's say I have a 10% bond and they drop the price to 5%, the 10% bond goes up in value. But also the 5% bond spreads cash into the system and that drove the stock market up. So it's the relationship, this is financial education, it's not that hard. So when you drop interest rates on the U.S. treasuries or bonds, it drives the stock market price up. Right. So instead of the economy collapsing, the CEOs, those criminals of most of our corporations, what they started to do was take money out of their treasury. So let's say, you know, why, why is IBM in such trouble or General Electric in such trouble? They borrowed money from their own treasury to buy their stock. Because interest rates were so low, they bought the stock and it drove the price of GE shares up. And what happened, the CEOs and all the executives then golden parachuted out because when they exit with stock options, 
they don't pay ordinary income tax. They pay uh, capital. They pay capital gains tax. So they would juice or jack up the price of their corporate or public company, and then parachute out. But it would leave the company deeply in debt, and they got richer. The shareholders got ripped off, but the CEOs got richer. That's criminal, in my opinion. Now nobody's nobody's going to send them to jail because it was legal. So it's actually immoral what they did or unethical. So today you look at the S&P 500, 100 or 20% of the S&P 500 is technically a zombie. They can never pay off the debt that the CEOs borrowed out of the balance sheet of their corporations. And then they parachute it out. So the problem is, Jeff, is that it started at let's say 16% interest they got down to almost 0%. In Europe, it got down to 0%. Why? Because they wanted you to borrow money. Okay, so what happened is when they, the, the interest rates on the bonds went down, stocks went up, so did real estate. So today in America, you know, real estate is this huge bubble unless you live in California or uh, New York. The, the blue states, are hemorrhaging, which is good. People are leaving the states because they keep, you know, they, they defund the police, which is stupid. They allow chops, whatever that is, little insurrection groups who appear like they did in Portland. And, and what's happening now is people are migrating out of California into Arizona, uh, Nevada, Texas, and Florida. So the people aren't stupid. Our politicians think they are. But that's why this is migration. Now that's driving up bubbles in Texas and in Florida, in real estate. So we have these bubbles, and then the Federal Reserve Bank, this guy Powell, who's a criminal, gets up there and says, oh, there's no inflation. Well, have you seen what's happened to asset prices? Have you seen what's happened? Your bond prices went up because interest rates kept coming down. So it's, it's counterintuitive. You think of the bond price, come, if the interest rate goes down, the bond price should go down. No, it goes up. This is the risk. If they actually raise, start raising bond prices, you know, let's say the, 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 the U.S. Treasury, the U.S. bond goes to 5%. It's about one and a half today. It goes to 5%. The whole freaking market comes crashing down. Stock market, real estate market. So that's why when you call this thing the end game, you must be psychic <laughs> because it goes back to history. Never in the history of the world has a fiat currency ever survived. The Romans tried it, the Chinese tried it, the Germans tried it. Every country that's tried it has gone bust. So America is in the end game because of the US dollar. I remember the first night we met, I didn't know how big you were on education and, and and you you have been preaching education and so uh, it, maybe the full title of the book should be uh, gold silver bitcoin bullets and education <laughs> that at, at the bare minimum the least we can do is let people know um that that this is the end game and we really do need to be preparing for it yeah, in, in Capitalist Manifesto, it's not doom and gloom. It's really about, uh, my teacher was Dr. R. Buckminster Fuller. 
who created the, created the geodesic dome and all that. And it's about, and he was a hardcore socialist. You know what I mean? Not that he was a socialist, but he really did not like how capitalists were so greedy. That was his opinion. But Fuller was considered a futurist. And the way he predicted the future was via a process called generalized principles. So in my book, Capitalist Manifesto, it's the first time I disclose what the generalized principles teach. So the reason I'm a rich man is I follow the generalized principles, which are not taught in school. You know, and generalized principles are simply God's principles. I'm not religious, not preaching, preaching. But God wants people to be rich. Do you know, that's why there's free sunlight. There's, you know, the, um, you know, AOC, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, the hardcore communist. And when I heard her Green New Deal, I thought, you know, thank you, Jesus, because capitalists are going to make fortunes on the Green New Deal. That's true. But, but the socialists and communism, the educators will still go broke because they don't have financial education. So I'm, you know, I, I'm not in the stock market. That's the reason I never bought Apple, never bought Amazon. I just don't trust the stock market. I've taken three companies public. I don't like the process. I'm a private investor. So we're starting a company to produce what's called carbon credits. So it's basically Bitcoin for the environment. <laughs> and I'm going to sell it to ALC's favorite customers, the airlines and the steamship companies. <laughs> so capitalists will always make money and socialists will always be poor. That's the problem. So what, what are the rest of these generalized principles? What, what, what the, these God's laws, what are they? Well, the one I think that is most relevant, especially today, is a generalized principle is unity is plural at minimum two. In other words, when somebody says, I'm number one, that's impossible. You can't have one without something else. So when somebody says they're right, they're saying somebody is wrong, when really both sides are right. So, so I call it the three sides of a coin. You know, there's heads, tails at the edge, and intelligence is on the edge. So I stand on the edge of the coin and look both ways, you know. So right now, the big battles between Bitcoin and gold. Well, I don't know why they're arguing. You know, I just buy both. <laughs> it's absolutely brilliant. You know, I, I don't really care, but they want to argue about it. Now, this is what's stupid about the whole thing is every time I tell people I'm buying Bitcoin, they say, oh, Ripple is better or this is better or this is better. I'm going, well, then buy it, stupid. You know, don't pump me up because then it's a Ponzi scheme. You know, a Ponzi scheme is they got to get some stupid, somebody more stupid than them into the system. So my concern is Bitcoin might be a Ponzi scheme. That's okay with me because all markets crash anyway. If Bitcoin starts to crash, I'm going to be out of there so fast. Do you know, do I give a shit? No. But, oh, but if markets crash, that's bad. So, yeah, for you. But for me, I get rich when they crash. That's the other side of the coin. You, you can't have a boom without a bust. So all booms will bust and all bo busts will boom. That's a, that is a generalized principle. And so intelligence is being able to stand on the edge of a coin and seeing good, bad, right, wrong. You know, we have two eyes, two ears, one mouth, you know, two, two legs, everything's in twos. So you can't have good without bad. And all of these guys are arguing right, wrong, good, bad. I think they're all idiots. I just listen to both sides and do what I want to do. That's it. That's one of the generalized principles.
I, I love it. it. Even as I wrote in my notes the other day about my business is like I figured a way that where we could win when we lost. And it really is doing something, and, and it, it was something else that we could be doing with our projects that if the ones didn't work that well, I had another place to go with them, and I'm like, well, okay, that's that's the principle. So I can't wait to read this book. Um, I always um, enjoy listening to you. I learn from you every time I, I see you uh, in other interviews. I can't thank you enough for being here. Oh, no, thank you. Thank you for your work. And, you know, thanks for the courage. Because one of the words we're taught at military school was courage. You know, the, the word courage is spiritual. It comes from the heart. The word, the base root of courage is le coeur, French. It comes from the heart. We need courage today. So we don't get panicked by our fears and our doubts. I love it. Thank you. Thank you for your courage and, and, uh, and always for, for sharing your thinking. Thank you. Well, thank you. As the Marines say, Semper Fi, always faithful. Thank you. <laughs>